Hey everyone, it's Rich Bennett, host of Conversations with Rich Bennett, bringing you an exciting chance to win with our latest giveaway sponsored by Tar Heel Construction Group. Get ready to make a splash just by tuning into the podcast. Yes, you heard that right. While you're soaking up our latest episodes, listen closely for a special splash sound. When you hear it, remember the episode name. Here's what you do next. Shoot us an email at podcast at harfordcountyliving.com with the episode title. Each splash sound means a new chance to win. So the more you listen, the better your chances. If you don't have email, then just leave a voicemail from our website at conversationswithrichbennett.com. What's the prize? How about a brand new waterproof Bluetooth speaker? Perfect for listening to our episodes, whether you're in the bath, on the beach, in the pool or on the go. You have until the end of May to send in your entries and we'll announce the lucky winner on June 3rd. Don't miss out on this splashy opportunity brought to you by Tar Heel Construction Group. Dive into our episodes and win big. Who the housing market? Wow. You got a lot of people selling. You actually have a lot of people buying too. Well, let's face it, if you sell your house, you got to buy a new one, right? And the housing market has, it, it's been on fire. And on this episode of Hartford County Living with Rich Bennett, I have a good friend of mine. He's going to talk to us about the housing market and give us some education about it. He's also going to inform you about how we first met. And let's just say uh, some wedding cake to the face was involved. Not my face, not his face. And not his wife's face, but but you'll find out. I'm happy to say that this episode is actually brought to you by the Harford County Chamber of Commerce. If you're not a member yet, what are you waiting for? You got to take advantage of it. Just go to HartfordChamber.org. Look at all the benefits you get for being a member, all the cost saving programs, the uh, the stuff they do is amazing. They advocate for you. There's a lot of education. There's just so much. There's too much to name, really. But I've been a member of several different chambers, and when I joined this one a little over a year ago, I've gotten more out of this chamber than I have out of any other chamber I belong to throughout the years. And I've been in several. And the thing is, it's I've said this several times on the podcast I do for them. It's like family. All the members, the staff, it is like family. Everybody looks after each other, and it's just so amazing. But go ahead and go to harfordchamber.org, and if you're not a member yet, look into it. I strongly encourage you to become a member. And if you work for a company that's not a member, tell them about it. Tell them to look into it. And you don't have to be just Harford County. If you're doing work in Harford County, why not? Look into it. So again, that's HartfordChamber.org. Go ahead and become a member and just soak in all the benefits and the cost-saving programs you're going to get. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Harford County Living with Rich Bennett, coming to you from the Freedom Federal Credit Union Studios. Each week, you'll hear interesting interviews, commentary, discussions, storytelling, and more. Here's your host, Marine Corps veteran, professional DJ, entrepreneur, podcaster, and my father, Rich Bennett. I'd like to welcome 
everybody to Harford County living with Rich Bennett. So today I am sitting here with, actually, I guess you could say, um, God, no, I don't want to say that. I was going to say like the evil master, but no. (laughs) 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 What the hell? (laughs) Um, So anyways, I'm sitting here with, he is the chairman. I'm the co-chair when it comes to the Harford County Chamber of Commerce for the membership committee. And And funny thing is, that's how I met him. But come to find out after talking, we met before that. Um, but we're, we'll may talk briefly about that. But I'm sitting here with Mike Maxwell of Maxed Out Home Group, right? That's right. Yep, that's oh, it. Damn, I got it right. You got it right. First try. There Man, you go. All right. It's going to be a good day. Hey, <laughs> I've seen you worried I was going to say your name wrong. Mike. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so Mike has been, God, in real estate for a while and – Getting re- you haven't launched it yet. Getting ready to start a podcast, right? Yeah, getting ready. We're we're doing some pre-recording stuff. We're getting you know some some I guess what do you want to call it? Some time on the books, time yeah. on the mixer, and and getting some guests together. And you know, it's pre- I think it's a pretty cool reason why we're putting it together and and so on. It's it's but my brother and myself. Yeah. yeah, it's my okay. brother and myself. And it kind of comes from. Um, it comes from what we like to call our old roundtable discussions with the family. So the podcast, <laughs> yeah, the podcast is called Real Money. So obviously, real estate, real. My brother's a financial advisor. So what does he do? He moves around money on a daily basis. So real money. Words, look man. at this, right? I love it. Yep. I, you know what? I can almost take credit for a quarter of that. So <laughs> okay. we'll we'll give Coors Light a quarter of the credit, and then we'll give fifty percent of the credit to oh, the rest so of the roundtable. Sitting around drinking <laughs> right, when you gave up right. the idea. <laughs> Yeah, that always helps. <laughs> so, um, you know, for years, I come from a very, very family-centric background, and right. I and I love that, and I, I I love to kind of tote that information, and um, you know, through traditions and so on. But it was always when we were kids, when we were everything. We, I mean, it didn't matter. Like when we started driving, it really became a thing that right. it didn't matter where you were, it didn't matter what was going on. You were at the house on Sunday for dinner. Yeah. And that's what it was. And my father traveled for business Family through values. the week. Yeah, he, exactly. And he traveled for business through the week. And it was always like Sunday was like when we got to kind of decompress together. Mm-hmm. And it start, you know, it was when we were 16, 17, 18 years old. I have two brothers. My youngest brother, Stephen, is who do, who's doing the podcast right. with me. And then my middle brother, Matthew, we would all kind of – we're all about two years apart, give or take. Okay. So we would all just – everybody was at a little bit of a different stage in life. And we always kind of have been, obviously, until now, everybody's kind of similar. But um, it was always like what went on in school, what went on in this, what went right. on in that. And then that evolved into what's going on as we got older, as we got into the work world and stuff like that. What's going on at work? What's going on here? What's going on in the world? And we called it roundtable discussion. I mean, it was literally Sunday night. That's what we did. And, and it was just like – there was – I'm like there's no reason – that we are not recording this because this is just – and that's kind of so the tagline for the podcast right. is um, real motivation, real business, real talk, real money. And so like that's it. kind of the, the background for the podcast, you know, real entrepreneurship. Yeah. So uh, entrepreneurship is an interesting word for me. I have a couple of different opinions on that word as a whole based on what it was, what it is, and how it's defined. But um, – you know, I feel like I'm a motivated businessman. You know what I mean? I run my real estate team. I am the kind of the rainmaker for what I do. Right. Um, my brother's in a sem- very similar industry where 
he can do as much or as little as he wants. So that's kind of where the entrepreneurship side comes in. And I have a pretty eclectic background from a resume perspective over the years. So um, in that, we've kind of coupled that all together. I love motivation. I love coaching. It's just a fulfillment thing for me, for individuals, whether you're starting a business and stuff. So we just kind of tried to mesh a bunch of stuff together. And that's what we're going to do. Really excited. Because Max, that's your only business, right? Right now. Yeah, right now. I, I sold my other business uh, in COVID, during COVID. What was the other business? So I had a tree company. I had an arborist company. Really? I ran an arborist company. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, it was an arborist landscaping company, and it, it kind of, again, with my crazy eclectic background, um, I, and I don't, I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. So my wife's a saint. I'll say it a gazillion times. And right. When you meet her, you're, you'll exactly 100%. Well, you met her in, yeah. in some sort of capacity before. Um, but so she was the one that really said, you know, Mike, I was in a corporate job prior to real estate. Right. I was, I was running an LTL trucking carrier. Um, so I had, I was long story short with the rest of my background. That was my prior career prior to real estate. And I started there at 26 years old. And in the, in the outbound operations supervisor position. So I was kind of second shift. I made sure all the freight that came off the street got distributed to all our other 36 terminals in the company for delivery in the Man. next couple of days. So that was my, and I had a crew of 15, 16 guys, but right. I've always been the kid. I was always the guy that took apart the radio to figure out what it was and, and what, what it wasn't. Exactly. Good. I wanted to know why. And I still do that to this day. Yeah. Um, and so in doing that, I learned every piece of the operation. I learned everything that was going on. I learned from soup to nuts. I could 24 hours run the operation myself. Um, and it wasn't a small operation. So our terminal manager left 18 months, two years into my tenure in the supervisor role. Right. And at that point, they gave me the whole terminal. I was 27, what? 28 years old. And the the company, which is no longer in business because nobody was – it was a family company. We weren't right. publicly done. It was The name of the company was New England Motor Freight. I'm, I guess yeah. I can say that. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, so the, the gentleman that owned the company was in his mid-80s at the time. Uh, and he came yeah. down and he said, he said, Mike, he said, I wanted to sit down because I wanted to personally offer you the position because I've never done this for a terminal manager before. And we've also never appointed a terminal manager under the age of 45 years old. Really? Yeah. So all my counterparts were 50 plus and years and years in the industry. Um, I ended up with a facility that was out of 36 terminals in the company. We were the eighth largest. I had here in Maryland. Here in Maryland. Yeah. We were, we were at a Northeast right off exit 100. Okay. Um, And I had Wilmington, my territory that we operated as a terminal was Wilmington, Delaware, all the way down through Southern Maryland. Rockville was kind of the western edge, and we had everything to the ocean. So we did the whole eastern shore. We did everything, uh, multiple states, the whole thing. So with that, I ended up taking over 120 employees, a large multi-million dollar P&L at 27 years old. Damn. So, and on top of that, I had... um, I had union employees. All my drivers were union employees. Really? All my dock workers were union employees. So um, a lot of, for me, it was one of those situations where I'm 27, 28 years old, and I'm managing people that could be my father from an age perspective. Yeah. 
So that's where I bring a lot of that into what I do in real estate today in from a respect, you know, all that all that kind of stuff where I, that's where I feel like I can work with a lot of different demographics right. because I did. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Being that young in, in the tr- well, trucking industry. It's, that's a whole nother world yeah. in itself. Oh, I know. Yeah. So with that, I was working 12, 14, 16 hours a day, depending upon what was going on. And Kate was like, you're miserable. It's a lot and of stress. I, and I say, it's a lot, I mean, it's a lot of stress on an, somebody who's been doing it for 20 years. It's yeah. a lot of stress on somebody who's trying to Pretty figure it out. Weird. And yep. exactly. So for me, um, leaving there, she's like, you're miserable. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd love to get back into real estate. Oh, so you did real estate before that. I was licensed in 2007. Okay. And I'm not proud to say, but happy to say I failed. Right. Because. Got to fail to succeed. Well, exactly. And at the end of the day, for me, for business, for a whole, I feel like as a society, we are so publicly glitz, glamour, rainbows and Mm -hmm. unicorns front facing that. We need to tell our failure stories, too. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, failed in 2007. It's 21 in, in an industry, in a, in a market where, similar to today, a lot of differences from, the, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. want to compare the two apples to apples, but similar in, in a pace perspective and right. also a fear perspective. Um, but didn't have a ton of help. Also didn't really know what to do. Yeah. And I failed. You had I, no mentor or anything. No, I didn't have. And the industry was very different at that time, too. Yeah. Um, not a lot of teams like I'm operating now. Not a lot of that. A lot of uh, what the industry is today came out of what it was before. Okay. So I hung my license up and said, you know what? I'm done. So I told her, I said, I want to get back into real estate. And she said, do it. And I said, well, I said, you understand that we're going from a, you know what I mean, a career where I shouldn't be in this position at this age. Right. And the salary we were making to nothing. And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, let's do it. And this is where my wife being a saint comes into play. I left that job July 5th of 2015. I was licensed four months. I got, I completed my licensing four months prior. So I affiliated with a broker, kind of got my feet wet, figured out what was going on. I left that full-time job, cold turkey, no salary, no nothing, into real estate July 5th. My daughter was born August 24th. Our Whoa. first kid was born August 24th. So I have 0.0 chance of failure. Like, you got to get this done. Right. Now, was it calculated? Yes. Did we have a number of months in savings that, you know, to compensate for the first right. six months of not being able to perform or sell or anything like that? Yes, we did. It was very calculated in what we did. But still, at the same time, I mean, that's not... <laughs> I tell that story all the time, and I get the exact same reaction as it, you. Is you planned ahead, but it could still be scary as hell. Oh, it is scary, especially as hell. if you failed before, right? Because, and I'm sure in the back of your mind, that's what you're thinking. You're like, okay, I, I, God, I don't want to fail again. But at the same time, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not going to fail again, right? Yeah. So I mean, you're I had no choice. And your wife, right? Is, I mean that. That's the other big thing right there. I mean, your wife supported you 110%, which that's and a lot of I think that's where a lot of couples kind of mess up to where they don't talk it out and they'll just say, "Well, no, I'm going to do this with with or without your support." Stay with us. We'll be right back. And, you know, and I think I agree. And I think the communication every, and anybody that I bring onto the team from an agent perspective, mm-hmm. I want to have a conversation with them and their spouse. Yeah. 
and I would say, look, this is what the industry is. This is what people didn't explain to me before. This is the, you know what I mean? The tonight networking, I'll be at a networking chamber Olympics event right. tonight from four to 8 PM. So we juggle who's getting the kids and what's going on and all that. So without her continued 110% support, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have it. But that's why I don't know that people do the appropriate research into the businesses they're getting into. Right. And that's where the mentorship and coaching for me comes into play with like, you know, Hey, what's going on? But a very long explanation. So when I got into real estate, I knew that we were going to have to supplement income somehow. So my neighbor at the time and myself, we both had pickup trucks. We both had plows on our pickup trucks. We were like, hey, look, let's do this legitimately. Let's get insurance. Let's just go push commercial snow in the winter. He was working for a farming outfit that didn't work in the wintertime for the most part. You know, obviously harvest season is harvest season for farmers. And, you know, there's not a whole lot going on in the winter. And (laughs) real estate is slower this time of year until you get into a, a, you know, method of business. And, um... With that, we started the um, we started the snow company essentially, and that spawned into they knew he had a background in arborist work, so that spawned into hey, can you come do tree work for us? Which spawned into hey, can you come do excavating work for us? So with my business background and his practical background, it was a great yin and yang situation. Wow! So with that, we um, we kind of kicked that off too. So it was a good thing and a bad thing. Right. It, it really helped me supplement income in the beginning. Um, but I think it slowed down my business progression. You know, I had two feet in two different boats. Yeah. And I had to make sure both of those boats were going straight. And as they started to grow, the spread in those boats ha- started to happen. You were running two full-time businesses, which right. can be very hard. Yeah. So, um, you know, and running and growing Yeah. two businesses. And as they started to separate both of the growth for both sides of it slowed because I couldn't give it an equal opportunity. Wow. So at that, we kind of, you know, I stepped away from the day-to-day of the Arborist company and made sure the business was running, made sure the P&L was right, right, made sure we were profitable, made sure all those things were going on as growing the real estate side of it at the same time. And then through COVID, and one of the things that came out of COVID from a, a good standpoint, I guess you could call it, is... He was he had the opportunity to get an, to get a loan to buy the debt out of the company. And when I say I sold the company, I didn't you know what I mean? I'm not Scrooge McDuck swimming in, in money, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, you know, he had the opportunity and I was really, really happy to be able to give him the opportunity yeah. to essentially take the company over at that okay. point. So, you know, it's been, you know, hundred percent real estate for the last, I don't know, eight, twelve months. So when you were doing both of the businesses, how many hours a week were you working then? More than I was working before. Right. I, I think that's where a lot of people don't understand. When you start a business, leaving the corporate world, be prepared because if you want to do it right, you're going to put in more hours. Sure. Absolutely. And any business owner you talk to that's successful, mm-hmm. that has crested the five-year mark. So very interesting in today's world from a business perspective. You know, Obviously, real estate is my business, and, I, and that's right. what I'm vested in. But with the chamber and all we do with so many different businesses, you know, it's, we got to kind of know what's going on. And and just like you and I, and from the membership development side, how, how do we help those businesses? How do we develop those members? How do we develop the membership? And so with what they're calling the great resignation now, 
a lot of those people are breaking down and starting businesses, right? There, there was they resigned over last year and they're starting businesses. Right. So statistics from a small business administration standpoint. Actually, we went through this on the last podcast that we recorded on our side. Um, there was something like a 24, 25% growth year over year in small business applications. But statistically, 20% of those businesses will fail in year one. Yeah. 30% will fail in year two. And by the end of the fifth year, 50% will have failed. And once you crest that five-year mark, you can talk. when you talk to that person, you talk about how many hours did you put in, what did you yep. do? And from that standpoint, it was it's always, oh, my goodness. But it was a different mindset. I yeah. might have been working 18 hours a day, but my mindset was completely – I was a completely different person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I was available. And I think too many people get in – when they get into a business venture, they think they're going to make money right away. Right. And you're not. Right. I mean, if you do, you're very lucky. But you, you and they don't realize you got to put out the money to make the money as well. Right. I mean, it took me, God, with, with, with Harford County living, I don't know, five years, probably. That's smart. But I didn't give up on it. Right. I knew I had something there. Right. And it's like, no, just keep it going. Right. Well, and that's the mark, right? I mean, yeah. that's that five year mark. Yeah. If you can crest that five year threshold, you should be in really great shape. Yeah. You know, it, look, you should be you should be in good shape. Busy. Right. And again, you know, from a real estate perspective, outside of the fact that I had to do virtual learning with a kindergartner. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother situation. <laughs> Did you learn some stuff that you forgot? You know, and, and <laughs> I don't even know if I learned anything. I don't, I don't know what happened. How many times were you coloring, Mike? I, to, I was coloring to keep my sanity is what it was. It had nothing to do with the... Oh, uh, God. It, goodness gracious. So you had your adult coloring books on the side <laughs> yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, writing curse words in the margins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just like high school. It was high school over again. Um, no, so like from COVID, I mean, I came out of COVID in a very positive yeah. light. And a lot of businesses didn't. But I, I think it's almost, as we talk to people, I think it's almost a 50-50 shot. Would yeah. I struggled or COVID improved this for me? Maybe I didn't improve the bottom line. But it improved how I do my business and how I d- do it more effectively and more cost effectively and so on. You and I say this to a lot of people that I've had on, you know, that run businesses that were successful during COVID. They thought outside the box. It's what you have to. You have to. But I'm hoping that, you know, people don't, you know, yeah, granted, they did it during COVID. But you got to do that all the time. Right. You always got to think of something new. And I, re- I remember this from when I was in the IT field. We had um, some government contracts and school contracts, and we kept pushing to allow their employees to work remotely, and we could set them up. And they, every it seemed like everybody was against it. Right. What happens? Sure. COVID hits, and now you have government employees rushing to work from, or I should say, they're bosses, heads of the department or whatever, are rushing for them to work from home. Well, these ones that didn't have laptops or computers to do it, all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, well, we have laptops. So, well, wait a minute, they saw Windows. They were so behind in the times. Right. It, it's, it, it was sad. And that's, and I think, again, like from the real estate business perspective, what we do for our clients, I'm always thinking outside the box. And I think COVID, yeah. 
I think COVID from a business perspective, from an overall business perspective, took people away from their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times in business, in real estate, in all this, you know, anything in that, once you get into a routine and the day to day, it's very hard to get out of that. You know, I'm very routine person. I was, when I was working at the trucking company, I was up at four o'clock every morning and I told myself getting into my own business, which is people like, oh, bonbons, golf, and you know what I mean? Naps on the couch. Getting into my own business, I'm not not I'm not stopping that schedule. So no. ever since I've been in business, I'm up crack of dawn, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. I'm the same way. Getting everything together, getting my day together, and that's my routine. Right. But my routine to get ready for the day is different than a business routine. And I think people don't understand that. In a business routine perspective is if you get stuck in what you're doing, then you're not going to be able to think outside the box and pivot mm-hmm. when needed. And I think people learn that through COVID. And I'll use the example of a lot of the investors, a lot of the real estate investors I work with, is they all had a very specific standard on the type of property they purchased based on what their goals were. Some of them had goals to build a rental portfolio. Right. And in their rental portfolio, they didn't buy a property that was under a 10% capitalization rate or cap rate. They didn't buy a property that didn't cash flow more than – two percent of their money invested or like they had very specific standards and there's all that's a whole nother can of worms but they had very specific standards and they had a routine to what they were doing and how they were doing it COVID hit foreclosure stopped their method of business changed and a lot of them just hit the pause button fine that's you know what i mean yeah you're cash flowing a lot of money but you hit the pause button on spending money and now you can't evict people that aren't paying you can't do this so you have to pivot anyway Mm mm-hmm and that's where the business routine and business model, I think the two are fairly tomato-tomato-ish in, yeah. in verbiage. That's where you had to change and pivot. And people didn't. They did. Some, some of the people that didn't get it, they were, lost. were unfortunately, <laughs> were not successful. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I mean, that, that business routine is great. And it's great to have that routine or business model. But at the same time, if you're not thinking, and this is something that I think uh, that I I think I do fairly well. If you're not thinking two to five years down the road minimum, mm-hmm. you're, you know, where is it going? What's going on? In real estate, we're dealing with different changes in the market with Zillow becoming a brokerage now. What? Zillow is, is actually a brokerage. So I need to be very wow. careful on how I verb this from an ethics perspective because they are actually part of the National Association of Realtors now. So wow. they're, a, they're a realtor in the eyes of our business. So they're going around buying homes, and that's their business model, and that's what they're doing. They actually have laid off over 50% of that portion of employees. That came out yesterday. But um, our business is changing to what we call and what they are as an iBuyer, meaning, hey, I see your house is worth such and such. I'll pay you that money for it. And then they would try to turn around and resell it. Right. and Or send you an email or something along those lines. So. That's a business model that's changing. That's how we're looking at an industry. So wow. how do I compete with that in two to five years? Yeah. How do I compete with different brokerage of the world with different reduced compensation models and stuff like that? How, where is my value? So that's things that businesses have to look at. That's what I have to look at. That's, you know what I mean, how that works overall. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff going on where we're competing that's, I mean, some of it's media-based knowledge, some of it's not, some of it's industry knowledge. And, right. But, you know, that's where any business, 
is going to have a differing competition on a regular basis. And that goes back to the business growth and you're talking about money and having that kind of thing. I had a, a prominent businessman that I talked to on a regular basis um, tell me one time, he said, this is going to sound crazy. He said, but he said, when you get to the two-year mark, stop worrying about the money. Right. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean stop worrying about the money? He said, if you've been in business for two years you've beaten a third of the other people that you've been next to. He said, so at that point, if you really want to grow and you really want to scale, you have to stop worrying about the money you're spending. If you're spending, if the money you're spending is in the business and it's business growth based, Mm -hmm. don't worry that it's a thousand dollars or $5,000 because at the end of the day, if you're vested in your business, if you're worried about spending that thousand or five thousand dollars, it's going to handcuff your growth. That makes sense. He said, if you're worried about that stopping and spending that money, then you may not grow. Right. If you're not worried about that money, and obviously, again, caveat to all this is talk to your accountant, do do your yeah. due diligence. But at the same time, he said, if you're worried about writing that check, you may miss an opportunity. Yeah. So I've always kind of kept that in the back of my head, too. And that, that makes sense because, I mean, if you're worrying about that the whole time, you're not able to focus on other things. Right. And, well, let's face it, when you worry about stuff, what's it do? Right. Create stress. Right. And the last thing you want is stress. Right. And I, I, I go back to that example all the time in my business. Yeah. And I kick myself in the pants for it on a regular – because he tells me all the time. He says, stop doing this. Right. But I do it because as a – good business owner you're looking at your bottom line right Right. and as of it's been a year that my assistant has been with me and she has changed my business exponentially she's changed what i can do and where i can be why we can sit and run the membership development committee together why i can be on the board of the chamber now why i can now be on the board of the association of realtors why i can be community-based front-facing as our business needs i need an assistant and well, it changed. It changed my. It changed my. Gives you more pro- time. Changed the projection of my business. Yeah. Did I? Was I comfortable shelling out essentially that salary in a year? I ate it for a year. I and I tell you myself now, if I would have done this a year earlier, I would probably be double where I am right now. Right. And again, going back to the don't worry about the money. Could I have figured it out then? Could I have done it then? Yeah, I could have. But I didn't because I was worried about the money. Yeah. I was worried about what I was paying them. And again, and I tell them all the time, I'm like, you're right. If I would have done this, if this was the two-year mark, not the one-year mark, I potentially feel like I could be double where I am from a business perspective right now. So, and now your assistant has, is she familiar with the real estate market? Or she, was came, she, when she, came she came into the market blind. Okay. Which, good thing and a bad thing, right? right? I mean, at the end of the day, she had didn't have a skewed view on the way things should be done. But there was a lot of training involved. And really, honestly, in our market, in our business, training isn't training. We're not sitting across from the table doing, okay, here's this piece of paperwork, right. here's this piece of paperwork, all that kind of stuff. We're getting the truck with me, 
we have this appointment to go on. We have this appointment to go on. We have this going on. We have that going on. And training was live and in person. Right. And agents, agents are the same way. And that's where like being out in the community and from the team growth perspective, my goal this year is to bring on one agent to the team and grow the team. I will, at the end of the month, have three. So you're, all right, so Max at Home Group, you're actually a bro- broker then? So the way real estate works in the state of Maryland is we hang a license with a broker. Okay. So I could go finish, I could go take my test and be a broker right. today if I wanted to. Okay. There's a lot of back-end semantics of a, a bunch of different stuff, technology-wise and insurance-wise and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I affiliate, Max Down Home Group is an affiliate of Keller Williams Gateway. Okay. Keller Williams Gateway is actually at a White Marsh. So we operate- Keller Williams what? Gateway. So Keller, Keller Williams Real Estate Offices are franchise-owned. Yeah, I know that, but when did the Gateway get added on? So, so <laughs> Keller Williams, so each office has a different name. So oh, okay, Keller okay. Williams Gateway is our office. Okay. Keller Williams Legacy is in Towson. So each office has a different name because they're franchise owned. Okay. Um, you know, everyone has a franchisee. They don't look at it that way, but that's how right. the corporate structure is. Um, so we're affiliated with Keller Williams Gateway. Okay. Keller Williams Gateway has a broker of record. So I hang my license and my agents hang their license with that broker of record at that office. Okay. So I'm technically not a broker from a licensing state of Maryland legal perspective. Right. But I operate the team and the agents associated with it. Okay. So I am providing them structure, instruction, value, growth, all of those things, you know, as a brokerage of old would be. Um, but things have changed exponentially, like we said, since 2007, 2008. Um, so yeah, so their agents are working with me. We're growing them. We're helping them grow their business, which in turn is growing our footprint. Right. You know, we operate now in Baltimore County, Hartford County, Cecil County, and licensed in PA. And we do a portion of York Adams and Lancaster counties in PA. Um, and then we'll touch a little bit of like Anne Arundel County and like the Glen Burnie area and stuff like that. We'll touch a little bit of Carroll County, you know what I mean? On the, on the Eastern borders of the County and stuff. Um, but overall with that footprint, as we grow from an agent's perspective, like the new agent that comes on is going to be our Baltimore County specialist. And okay. she's going to operate starting in Baltimore County. And actually she's going to bring our footprint to Anne Arundel County. She's going to bring our footprint a little bit further out West. So that's where the strategic growth becomes infectious. I guess you could call it in the regard that, as we grow, the growth is in different areas and the agents grow. And as we grow right. the agents, we grow the footprint. And as we grow the footprint, we become bigger and bigger. Okay. So in the eyes of real estate, if I had my broker's license, maxed out home group could be a brokerage. But with maxed out home group, do you still is it still licensed as a business? Like, Are you LLC or incorporated? It's a very interesting portion of the real estate industry. Okay. I don't have to be. Okay. There's nothing that says that to be a licensed real estate agent, I have to operate as an LLC. And this is where a lot of our industry, and this is where I love to talk to real estate agents, right. because they don't understand how business works. Right. It's very silly as a real estate, as a licensed real estate agent. And again, obviously from a production threshold, some of those numbers have to make sense. But yeah. as a licensed real estate agent producing, even selling six to eight homes a year. So a house every couple months, right? Right. It makes more sense for you to operate an LLC as opposed to being a 1099 
employee of the brokerage. Uh, okay. And there's, again, not an accountant, not right. legal, like full disclosure yeah. right here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, check with your accountant, right. check with your lawyer, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, where that is is okay there's tax implications there's write-off implications mm-hmm. there's all sorts of stuff that are at your advantage having an llc payroll taxes self-employment taxes there's so many things that the agents in our business and again the antiquated nature of the thought process of our business is not real estate agent business owner it's real estate agent yeah business owner that's it, you're the same thing and that's what agents don't understand and that's part of the mentorship <laughs> the growth that my agents get because even though so maxed out home group is the dba or the doing business doing as it, yeah. maxed out real estate is our llc okay so maxed it. out real estate is our llc and then from there maxed out real estate is doing business as maxed out home group okay and there's a very strategic structure to that based on other company titles that I own and what the five-year to 10-year plan is down the road. Wait a minute, what else do you own? So I have, I mean, I have, I have two other LLCs that are just really kind of floating in thin air right now because one of them is a holding company. So as other things grow, the holding company will start to acquire the other businesses. And what is a holding company? So essentially what the holding company is, is just like it sounds. I mean, it's the holding company will soon operate. So Maxwell Holdings. Okay will operate so that that just turned off oh <laughs> um so maxed out um holdings will acquire the other llc's and essentially be the top of the umbrella okay from that perspective so that it, it's just it's more business protection more and then the other part of the llc is when you open an llc one of the big things is and the ultimate knowledge base i guess that you could anybody says oh you open an llc to protect your personal interests and that's a whole other factor too right is that and this is where again getting into legal and you know what yeah. I mean, a bunch of other stuff that you know we have some great lawyers in bel-air that i've gotten this information from mm-hmm. um but basically you're pro- i'm protecting my entities i'm protecting my house i'm protecting my right. you know what i mean my savings account my retirement accounts i'm protecting those things in operating an LLC, but you also have to be very careful because you can't commingle personal and business funds. Once right. you've done that, you and the legal term is pierce the corporate veil. Once you've pierced the corporate veil, then that LLC doesn't mean squat and protecting you anymore. Right. So you have to be very careful on how you move things around and do that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of there's a, and that's and this is where like just me, like I said, I was the kid that took apart the radio. I just picked apart the business. why do we do this and that's i implore everybody ask the why like that's you know i mean that's what it is ask the why why are you doing this why are you here why is what's going on so one of the actually two questions for you but the first one because talking about different businesses have you thought about you know be you know starting your own business becoming a business coach I, you know what? You're not the first person that's brought that up. <laughs> okay. You're also not the first person that's brought up, you know, you should be teaching investors how to invest in real estate. Right. You should be doing it because that, again, I'd be happy to do a whole other podcast on you on that whole <laughs> scenario because that's not a simple, that's not a simple answer. Yeah. Um, you know, it's more a passion than it is anything else right now. Okay. And I, 
anybody that's listening to the podcast, anybody along those lines, get my email, get my phone number. I, I give it here if you want to. I don't care. Ahead, I'm happy to talk actually, to I was going to say, give it now. I'm happy to talk to anybody. I mean, you can, website. you can reach me directly on my cell. I mean, this is my, I don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. This is where the growth is. I love it. It's, you know, 443-866-9889. You can shoot me an email. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's Mike at maxedouthomegroup.com it's a little long but it gets to the point and then you can catch the website which we're working on so if you're gonna i don't know when this is gonna air or what's gonna go on but well, it may be finished the website will be up it, by it may, no it's up it's operating it's just okay. getting updated with all the uh, new yeah, team yeah. members and all right. sorts of different stuff so hopefully it's updated if not it's coming <laughs> soon um that's just it's very simple it's maxedoutrealestate.com with two x's no one one x m-a-x-e-d-o-u-t Realist um, homegroup.com. Okay. And that's the same. It's the email spelled the same way. So it's Mike at M A X E D O U T homegroup.com. So definitely like your last name, not. Yeah. Because when you, if you're maxed out, isn't that two X's? I guess you could spell it anyway. I don't, I, don't I spell know. it with one. Okay. I, yeah, I have no idea. So that I was. I failed English with the hell on. And, so. and again, it's, you know what I mean? It's one of those, it's one of the, this maxed out home group came from a round table conversation yeah. one night. Like, what do we name this? How do we do this? And that's kind of, again, going back to the podcast, going back to the family. It's kind of, right. it's all a big group for me. And that's how I operate. And, and actually, that's the other question I wanted to ask you with the round table. Because you said every Sunday. Yeah. Do you guys still get together for dinner on Sundays? Absolutely. Do you really? Yep, absolutely. That is awesome. You man. have to have a pretty damn good excuse not to be there. <laughs> you have to have yeah. a pretty damn good excuse not to be there. Um, let's see. Last weekend, we were not together on Sunday, but the all the ladies in the family were together for a bridal shower in New York. So I have okay. a lot of family on Long Island. That's where, we, that's where I was born right. and so on. So all the ladies were together, and then – Sunday was Halloween, so we were with you know my in-laws and on Sunday because they we live in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and it's the cows don't give out candy, so we have to go to my in-laws to go serve the kids to trick or treat. So, um, <laughs> okay. so that's that's what we did last Sunday. But the previous Sunday we were together. This weekend, this coming weekend, we won't be together on Sunday. But Saturday night, everybody's getting together because we're doing a big family pictures. Right. So, like, one time throughout the weekend, the family is together as a whole. That's awesome. And, I, I uh, do miss that because, yeah, our family used to be the same way. And, I, you know, it's crazy enough, My one of my cousins uh, from New York moved down. She lives in – her and her husband live in Airville now. Okay. Uh, they've been there. She works – she's a teacher for Baltimore County Public Schools now. Um, but they come to Sunday dinner. It's not just – you know what I mean? If if you have the blood running through your veins, you're welcome to come sit down. My To the point where my father – we call it King Arthur's Table – my father had a custom table made from a, a table maker in Canada that will Whoa. fit 14 people. Holy cow. Yeah, the table is – and then it, so the table's long enough to fit eight altogether, and then there's two leaves that come right. in that'll fit the additional set of people. Who does all the cooking? My, my dad, my mom. Really? Depends, yeah. And, then, and every once in a while, us boys will have the family dinner at our house. Okay. So, like, you know, I love to barbecue. Love to, you know, we've talked about that. Yeah. I love to love to smoke the meats and stuff like that, and we'll do that. Sometimes my brother um, lives up in northern part of the county. The one I do the podcast with, yeah. he's got a beautiful outside entertaining area. So, like, he's got a big pizza oven and stuff like that. Oh, so nice. sometimes we'll do we'll go up there. So it's not just in this situation, but yeah. it's yeah. Man. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's really cool. It's a really. I mean, when I talk about it, I feel like I'm bragging. I don't mean to be that way. You know, I just I'm so proud of what you're we do. Hand, I was gonna say, yeah, that's just it. You're proud of it. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean, when my parents were alive, it, it used to be if, you know, we'd say, all right, we're doing a cookout this weekend, and everybody would show up. Right. Yeah. It, it's at the the drop of a hat. If the family needed to be somewhere, we'd be there. And I think it all stopped when my older brother moved away to Ohio. Right. And but we still, when they moved back, you still had the traditions. Right. Thanksgiving dinner. Sure. Christmas, all that stuff. Right. And. Now it's not. I mean, I got more neighbors coming. You're right for the cookouts than anything. Yeah. You know? So I uh, with with the maxed out home group. God, and you mentioned before when you were in real estate before, the main. I mean, the big differences between the real estate market back then and now. Right. Explain. You know, I guess the big differences. So, in and a lot of the public facing verbiage or the public facing conversation of today is, Oh my God, things are going to crash like 2007, 2008 from a parallel media perspective on what is going on right now. Mm -hmm. I can fully understand that sentiment, but there are exponentially different pieces of the puzzle from one to the other. Okay. So in 2007, 2008, the only thing that really parallels with that market in today's market is the excessive amount of what we call seller's market. Meaning sellers are at an advantage. You want to sell your house. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, in this market, 5, 10, 15 offers, 2, 4, 10% over asking price. That's about the only parallel in the market. And this is where things get, you know, we start to Y in the road and pretty wide pretty quick. In that market, lending standards were so different. And when I say Mm -hmm. lending standards, I mean... And again, not to get too in depth and happy to have this conversation in depth with anybody that wants it, but um, lending standards, we talk about what they call DTI or debt to income ratio. Right. We talk about income perspective. We talk about all that kind of stuff. Those areas of checks and balances, I guess you could call mm-hmm. them now, did not exist in okay. 2007. So, and I. Funny enough, I, I'm working with a client now, and this is I, I love this story, and I'm going to probably share it for years to come. She's been renting a property for 25 years. Whoa. We are going to close on her first house. She's in her, she's in her late 40s. I don't know exactly if, if she's going to listen. She'll probably listen, and I'm sorry. She'll know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and sh- then she'll call me and yell at me. Um, but she's going to close on her first property that she's ever purchased, And she called me the other day and she's like, why do they need all this information? Why do I need to explain this $200 deposit in my checking account? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do that? And I told her, I said, I'm going to have, and I'm going to interview you on our podcast because I want you to talk about your experience from the lending side of things because none of that existed before in 2007. It was the wild west. Yeah. If you wanted money, you could have money. There were stated income loans. You could go to a lender and say, I make $200,000 a year. Okay, here's your check. Buy a house. Jeez. Appraisal standards were exponentially different. Where in today's world, there are standards to the appraisal. The appraisal does not even go... 
the appraisal doesn't go from the appraiser to the bank or to the lender. Right. It goes through a third-party quality control, then it goes to the lender. In 2007, appraisals were ordered willy-nilly. The lender would call the appraiser of choice right. and say, hey, I want, you know, you got to go do the appraisal for 123 Main Street. And a, a parallel, they would get the contract. They would know what it was contracted for. The appraiser gets the contract today. That also happens. Right. But in today's world, the lender cannot contact the appraiser anymore. Really? The appraiser is contacted through a third-party management company. So the lender will, you know what I mean, the, um, the AMC or appraisal management company, yeah. the lender will put in a work order with the AMC. The AMC will put it out to its preferred group of appraisers. Right. And the preferred group of appraisers is not preferred because they give you the price you want. They're preferred because their appraisals have the least amount of mistakes and are turned in in the right time frame, are turned in in the right structure, and so on and so forth. So they'll throw it out to the preferred appraisers and say, okay, we need you know one, two, three Main Street appraised. We don't know who appraises that property on the uh, buyer side of the okay. transaction until we get the report. Wow. Their information is in the report. It's there. We know who did it. That's a big difference. But we don't know it until the end. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. So, and then the other, I mean, there's, that's just, that's a, one of the biggest differences from an appraisal perspective. And in today's market, yeah, we're offering to pay two, five, 10% over asking price, which has recently calmed down a lot in the last right. few weeks, but we're offering to pay that over asking price. Properties are still not appraising. These are things that you're not seeing front facing. You're not seeing this in the media about the property that I had in Pennsylvania six weeks ago that appraised $18,000 under the contracted purchase price. So we have to do something about that. So these are things that the media is not projecting to everybody as a whole. Now, right. we're talking about Hartford County, Baltimore County, you know what I mean, Baltimore metro markets here. Right. Is the rest of the country in different positions from a statistical and numerical standpoint? Absolutely. Oh, sure. But it's it's similar. Like, we're, we're driving on the same road here. We're yeah. just going at different speeds. Um, so kind of the parallel of the appraisal, there is no parallel to the appraisal from one market to the other, Wow, which is huge. There is no parallel in lending standards from one market to the other. So where you could have stated your income before and just said, you know, what we call no doc loans, they pretty much don't exist. Okay. Um, and when I say pretty much, I don't know everything. So I don't want to blanketly state that they don't exist. Maybe they do somewhere, but it's not a, a prevalent thing. It's not done on a regular basis. And I can tell you in the last two years of this market, I've never encountered one on a buyer side. Okay. There's self-employed loans where we can use your bank statements to prove your income. Okay. Because just like anybody that owns an LLC, you're, you have write-offs, you have certain things. And you know, do I want to spend money on this this month or do I want to spend money on my mortgage? You have that decision as a business owner. Okay. Right. So we can go off of your bank statements as to to justify your income. We have to prove that income. Right. And we have to prove that income across the board. So, um, you know, and I'll go back to this individual that I was talking about before. She's buying her first house. She works for a company that is a small company, 10 mm-hmm. employees. She does very well for herself now. You know, she's she's done well. Well, she actually gets a handwritten check. She gets a handwritten check from this company because this, yeah, because this company is <laughs> is still older. So they do yeah. their payroll, they do their taxes, everything is right 
except it's just not what we consider payroll in today's right. standards. So she called me, not upset, but questioning why the lender needed her employer to go back and get a W-2 statement that she's already supplied to them from 2019. Now, we're not talking 2020. We're right. talking 2019. Because why? Because the lender wants to prove that the W-2 statement that she supplied matches the W-2 statement that the employer supplied to the IRS. And okay. these are the standards that we're talking about today versus not in parallels to the market. Interesting. They don't parallel. Yeah. So, and I don't want any of this to project the fact that we're not going to see a regression because economics 101 says we're going to see a regression. Yeah. You know, there's no question about that. Right. But are we going to see a 10% regression? No. Are we going to start to see foreclosures affect the market a little bit? Yes. But in old standards versus new standards, the appraiser needs to justify why they used a foreclosure distressed property to justify value in the appraisal now. Whereas they it was just a property. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different pieces to the puzzle that are protecting the fact that we're going to have a standard economics-based regression because right. that's economics. We're not going to have one that didn't. And a lot of it has to do with whether you agree with the federal government or what is what and where is where. They saw when we had the regression that real estate was a major driver for the recession. Right. That people huh. were losing their houses because of things that were done. And if they're losing their houses, what else is going on? Businesses are falling. Like all of right. these things are domino affecting and one of the first dominoes that fell was real estate so what they did was they put all of these things in place for the real estate market not to be one of the first few dominoes anymore interesting so there's a lot of i mean and again i could go on for another it's like a freaking science to all this stuff it's (laughs) it's it's very interesting because if you talk to Again, this is where I go back to, I want to know every piece of the puzzle. Right. And I feel like if I don't know every piece of the puzzle, I can't properly serve the clients. And unfortunately, in the real estate industry, and I've been very vocal about this to the Maryland Association of Realtors and stuff, I think there should be a different standard in licensing. Because I think our standard in licensing in the industry is lacking. It's only 60 hours to get your real estate license. What? Thought, it's, it's 60 school, hours. I thought school was like a month or something. Well, it, it used to be, well, different different strokes for different folks. You okay. can still go to one class a week for four weeks. Okay. But it's 60, like it's 60 hours. You go to two classes a week for four weeks. You can also do it online now, and you can do it on what? your couch. And that's where we've had a large influx of people through COVID getting into the real estate industry because of the allure of, you know, bourbon, bonbons, yeah. golf, and unicorns. And that's what, you know... So anybody that wants to get into the real estate industry, you had my contact info before. I'd love to like give you the real shake on what's right. going on. But for me, I feel like we can't serve our clients without understanding. Yeah. So there's a lot of the business. Am I a licensed lender? Absolutely not. 
but do I talk to my preferred lenders? Do I talk to my industry partners on a regular basis to understand what the difference in lending is? To understand that now we may, in the last few weeks, we've now changed credit score parameters to be able to get somebody with a lower credit score, an FHA or a government-backed loan. Yeah, that only happened two weeks ago. How many people know that? You know, there's a lot of difference in the market. There's what they call non-QM lending, which is investor lending or non-qualified mortgages. Non-qualified mortgages are mortgages that are not backed by mortgage insurance, require a larger down payment, but have a little bit more leniency in like, like we talked about that bank statement, proving your money on that. That's technically not a qualified mortgage. It can't be backed by mortgage insurance. So there's, there's a lot of different stuff in the industry that as an agent, how are you serving your clients without knowing these things? Okay. You know what I mean? Could I can pre-qualify somebody on a piece of paper right now just by numerical data, knowing debt to income ratios for every loan base. Right. That's, that's because that's what I, I feel like I can't serve my clients without doing that. You- now I can't give you a pre-approval letter. I'm again, not a lender, right. not anything along those lines, but if we're sitting here and we meet at a, at a chamber event and we're talking about, you know, Hey Mike, I'd love to buy this house. Cool. We're going to get a little personal. Tell me how much you make a month. Mm-hmm. Tell me what your gross income is a month. Tell me what your debts are a month and tell me how much money you have to put down or play with and we can go backwards. So in today's market, your traditional loan or your traditional mortgage is going to cost you anywhere from five to six dollars a thousand. So for every thousand dollars financed, your mortgage is going to cost you approximately five to six dollars. Huh. Okay. So if you're financing a three hundred thousand dollar house, okay, or you're buying a $320,000 house. Right. And you're putting 20,000 down. Okay. Not a regular standard, not anything. This is just silly. Mike doesn't have a calculator and needs to do quick math. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're going to buy a $320,000 house and you're going to put $20,000 down. That means you're financing 300,000s. Right. So, for every thousand financed, you're going to spend five to $6 in your mortgage a month. So if you're financing 300,000s, your mortgage is going to float somewhere between $1,500 and $1,800 a month in today's market with today's interest rate interest rates, yeah. and all that. That changes. Changes based on your credit score. Changes based on everything. So if you have a really good credit score, you have really good assets, you have really good reserves, and you are a really good borrower in the eyes of the lender, you're going to be close to that $5 mark. Right. If you're a riskier borrower in the eyes of the lender, you're going to be closer to that $6 mark because your interest rates are going to be different. Your mortgage insurance is going to be different. And obviously, there's all other factors that play into that. Like, are you buying in Maryland or are you buying in Pennsylvania? Because your property taxes are different. So that's a whole nother conversation on, like, I have people all the time, oh, it's cheaper to buy in PA. Yes, it's cheaper on paper when you look at the price of the house. Right. It's not cheaper on paper when you get your mortgage statement. But there's that's a whole nother conversation on property, what you're getting, what you're not getting, all that kind of stuff. Well, and even in Harford County, because, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but let's say you're in, like, the city limits of Bel Air, your property your property insurance, property taxes are going to be more than, say, if you're out in the country somewhere. Yeah, so in Harford County, we have three major municipalities. Right. And in those three major municipalities, Bel Air, Abingdon, or, excuse me, Bel Air, Aberdeen, and Havita Grace. In those municipalities, you have local municipality tax. Right. But there are perks that come with that local municipality tax where 
in the, I don't know specifically Aberdeen Habit of Grace very well, but I know Bel Air. Take your leaves, you blow them out onto the street in a nice pile. They come pick them up for you. Really? Yeah, you can take you put them in a nice pile on the street. They come around with their vac truck and vac it up, and you're done. I always thought that was against the law to blow the stuff. Well, the I mean, I, you got it's got to be on the edge of your property okay. or something along those lines. But nonetheless, you put it in a pile in the front where they can grab it right. with the vac truck. They'll vac it up for you, and you're done. You put your Christmas tree on the edge of your property. They'll pick it up after Christmas. Hey, they're good for fire pits. Oh, yeah. They're great for fire pits. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. Um, exactly. That's public service announcement. Don't get light your Christmas tree get dry. They do light on fire very quickly. Um, so, but And that's where like the property taxes are a factor, but you got to consider that, right? Yeah. Like locally where we live in Hartford County, there are a number of homeowners associations. Yeah. And homeowners associations are all drastically different. Yes, they you can are. have a very, very simple homeowners association that's going to cost you $35 a month and they don't do anything but make sure that the common area is in the development mode. Right. That's all that they do. They don't do anything else. Make sure that everybody has a neutral color front door and, and neutral color shutters and you're not painting things hot pink and, and orange. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but then you have a very in-depth homeowners association or a lot of them when you get this in-depth are really considered condo associations but like Bully Rock. Yeah. Well, you're paying, I think at this point, it's like $355, $357 a month. For the, for the HOA? For the HOA wow. in, in Bully Rock. But with that, what you're getting, if you put it on paper, is worth every penny if you're going to use it. Okay. So Bully Rock will take care of your lawn. They mow your lawn. They take, oh. they take care of mulching your gardens. You get the fitness center. You get the members club. You get your pool. You get... Oh yeah, that's certain certain snow removal in the winter of certain <laughs> things. So, like again, the difference of we're going to keep this these couple patches of grass green and right. cut and make sure that your neighbor doesn't have you know what I mean a safety yellow front door. Yeah, at thirty five dollars a month versus three hundred fifty five dollars a month, where you have full resort like facilities, right, and don't need to cut your grass don't need to mulch your gardens, don't need to do anything on the exterior of your house. You know what I mean? So that's the give and take. Huh. So, And this is all factors that we have to look at. And again, going back to the difference in scenarios from 2007 to now, the HOA fee wasn't, was never weighted into your debt-to-income ratio, and it is now. Oh, So okay. what debt-to-income ratio is is essentially exactly like it sounds. Yeah. For and just round numbers, they are all very different. Every different loan has different numbers and different thresholds, but right. just use 40%. What the mortgage companies say is for every dollar you make, 40 cents can be attributed to whatever is on your credit report. So, okay. your mortgage, your car payment, insurance is not on your credit report. BGE is not on your credit report. Credit card your cell right. phone is not on your credit report, right. but your credit cards are. Yeah. So your mortgage, your car payment, your credit cards, student loans, mm-hmm. those things. And you know, one of the things that we've done really well as a state is the Maryland Mortgage Program. That's a whole other scenario. You can actually there's portions of it where you can actually roll your student debt into your mortgage now. Really? There's a lot. Of, yeah, that's a whole other scenario. And to be honest, I'm not even comfortable talking enough on it because it's changing all the time. Yeah. Where like. I'm going to have a lender come in and talk about that. Um, one of the lenders I work with is so versed in it. Anytime I have a question, I just call him yeah. and he knows everything. But so with that, that debt to income ratio, 
So out of, and again, this is just for Mike Math, out, you make $10,000 gross a month as, you know, as your gross right. income. 4000 of that can be attributed to what the lender is looking at as your debt or what's on your credit report. So say, and this is how I go through this pre-approval in a very simple manner. So say that $10,000 in your debt on your credit report, or $10,000 is your income, $4,000 is what the lender says you can have as your debt on your credit report. Right. The other 60% is attributed to life, power, energy, fuel for your car, food for the refrigerator. You know what I mean? In our yeah. case, maybe a couple beers in the refrigerator too, whatever happens to go on. Right, exactly. Um, so, uh, so, but with that, the, in the eyes of the lender, you can spend $4,000 on your debt. So out of that $4,000, say between your credit cards and your car payment, that attributes, because cars are ridiculously expensive these days, that attributes $1,000 of that money. So now we've taken $1,000 out of that $4,000 bucket and we've put it in the bucket of we've used this. So now the, the $4,000 bucket is really only $3,000. And your student mm-hmm. loan debt is another $500, which I know is probably high, whatever, but student loans are a, thi- a big thing now, huge thing. Right. So Outrageous. now we take $5,000 out of that bucket and we throw it away. Right. So now we're to $2,500 that the mortgage company looks at as available income toward your mortgage payment. So say there's no other debts. Right. So that $2,500, if you wanted to flex that full 40% debt-to-income ratio, the mortgage company would allow you to have a mortgage up to $2,500. Does that make sense? Yeah. So with that $2,500, we use the 5 to $6 per thousand, and we work backwards. So we take $2,500, and I'm going to get the calculator now. <laughs> $2,500, and let's just call it five and a half. Let's cut, right. it, cut it in the middle. We divide that by five and a half. That gives us 454.5. So what that says is, based on your income and your debt, the allowable limit to what your purchase price would be is $454,000 financed. Okay. So if you so $450,000 is the note, is what the lender is right. going to give you. Say you have an inheritance or you have an estate or something like that, and you have $100,000 laying around, and you're going to put that $100,000 on top, your purchase price is now five fifty. Does that make uh, sense? Okay, got, okay, yeah. So you're talking financed money. Right. So if you're a first-time home buyer, if you have income qualifications, we can get you approved with a down payment as low as 3%. If you're not a first-time home buyer, you could be as low as 3.5%. That's an FHA loan, right. but that comes with other caveats. Most of the time, it makes more sense to go to a 5% conventional loan if you have the money. So I can get anybody approved with the right credit score, right, right income, and all that kind of stuff at 5%. Now, in the traditional standards, a lot of people are like, well, I don't have 20%. I can't buy a house. And that's terribly wrong today. Right. The amount of 20% down loans that I do are not few and far between. They're there, but that's because somebody had bought their first house, has equity, and is rolling it into right. the next house. So, yeah. So there's a lot of that going on. But that wow. was a really quick example of how I could be standing next to you at a networking event and essentially pre-approve you from a really, really raw, you know what I mean? Yeah. Estim- very estimated type of scenario. One of the things you keep, or at least I keep hearing, is like today is a seller's market, right. but not a buyer's market. Correct. Which I don't understand because if you're selling, you got to have a buyer. Right. So... 
explain. I mean, sure. How, how can you not have both? <laughs> well, I never got that. <laughs> you can, okay. and we're in it, right? Which is why we're in such a high, heavy sellers market. So, by national standards, market nomenclature is based on time and inventory. Okay. Okay. So if we have time and inventory of zero to three months, so if there's inventory available for purchase that shows that we essentially we have three months of inventory, meaning if not another house came on the market, we could sell houses for the next three months and then have nothing left to sell. Does that make sense? Yeah. So zero to three months of inventory, and you got to look at it kind of like a bell curve too. Mm-hmm. Zero to three months of inventory is the bottom of the left side of the bell curve. Zero to three months of inventory, and you know as it comes up. Yeah. So zero to three months of inventory is considered a seller's market. Okay. Three to six months of inventory is considered a neutral market, and that's getting to the top of the bell curve. So we get to the top of the bell curve, and that neutral market scenario. And as we go up from three to call it, you know, four and a half months, still technically a seller's market, but not very strong. Okay. We get over that four and a half to six months starting to wave into a buyer's market, but again, not as strong. And then anything over six months is a buyer's market. Okay. So let's define that by Mike. Those numbers don't mean anything to me. You know, what is, where are we at with that? A seller's market is a seller's advantage. A buyer's market is a buyer's advantage. Very simple, right? Yeah. So in today's seller's market, sellers are getting at or above asking price. They're getting the terms on inspection. They are at the advantage. You know what I mean? We are checkmate and, you know, and the buyers have their king about to be taken type of deal. That's the seller's market. Think about the same thing for the buyer's market. So the buyers have to make a move to just get out of that until they can buy the house. The reason I say it's equal is because these markets are traditionally driven by two things. They're driven by inventory. They're driven by interest rates. Right. And in today's world, in today's ah. market, we have a really low inventory, but we also have really low interest yeah. rates. So we're taking that seller's market from a couple months of inventory. In this county, we're down to a week. And there wow. were some points in the peak of this market months ago, we were down to days. So, like, quick, I have some stuff here. I'll just go run through it real quick. And price point is different, too, right? Right. You know what I mean? Not everybody can afford an $800,000 house. Not everybody, you know, most people in the county, our highest, you know, our most active price points earn the three fifty dollars to four fifty five hundred dollars range. Right. So, like, in June, we had in the county, in the three hundred dollars to four hundred dollars range, we had 1.3 weeks of inventory in June. In uh, the four to five hundred range, we had 1.5 weeks or 1.6 weeks and in the five to six range 500 to 600 we had 2.3 weeks so again you see the bell curve of like where most of our buyers are right and this is data that agents don't look at this is data that we need to be looking at to know what we need to do for our clients why i don't get it why aren't the agents looking at that be because i I guess some of them are in it to try to make a quick buck because of the education numbers uh you know and again, I need to be very careful with what I say because there's a lot of really, really great agents out yeah. there. And in any industry, in anything that we do, in any marketing and advertising, there's some bad apples that right. you know what I mean that, that do that. But this is data that hiring the right agent makes sense. Like right. 
if the agent's not coming at you with this data and talking to you, I'm not doing anything fancy here. These are charts and data that we have access to. I don't pay anything extra for this. I don't do it. This is from our market yeah. list service. So to give you an idea on how things have changed just from June to September, that three dollars to $400,000 range, there's now 2.4 weeks of inventory. So we're seeing inventory go up. So what does that mean? That means that the seller's market is still very, very strong in yeah. the eyes of national standards. Right. But we're also seeing now in June, we were writing offers of 5 to 10% over asking price and sometimes not even getting that accepted. Now we're writing offers at and above asking price by a few percent and we're competitive. Okay. So even that weak change in inventory changes the buyer pool and what's going on. So there's a lot of that. Again, we can go all the way to four to 500. There's 1.8 weeks. Five to six hundred. There's three point nine weeks. So there's almost a month of inventory oh, wow. in the six five to six hundred thousand range. Holy cow! So there's these are all things that you know we do. You know, this is the data that I look at. Yeah. To best serve the clients. Man, and tell everybody how they can get in touch with you again because all the all the realtors I've talked to does they don't have all that stuff. There. They do, and that and that's I mean, they, they do, and they that's come out and talk about it. But this is the education that I want to give to the industry. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is this is what we we need to be giving to the clients. Yeah. And this is the, you know, and I feel like too. There's a lot of agents that won't tell you this. Right. There's a lot of agents that won't tell you how they go in and they talk to clients and the information they because their fear of the industry being saturated and them not being able to do business is a factor. Yeah. The the thing is, for me, we all can eat. The yeah. rising tides raise all ships type of deal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like, again, come join Maxed Out Home Group. If you're an agent that's struggling in the business, come join us because yeah. this is the stuff we're talking about. You know what I mean? This is how we're growing. We're doing business planning. We're doing, and it's education. It's growth. It's all that kind of stuff. Right. So yeah, it's. I mean, it's craziness. You get get a hold of me. Shoot me an email, Mike at Maxed Out Home Group. M A X E D O U T Home Group dot com. Um, cell four four three eight six six nine eight eight nine, and you can check us out, Maxed Out Home Group dot com. I mean, we're we're everywhere. We're growing. I mean, if you can't tell, I love what I do. I really enjoy. I enjoy business. I enjoy real yeah. estate. I I just enjoy interacting with people. I mean, it's, I love it. Something else you enjoy. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't cover it. So, um, with the chamber. Yeah. Because I I know you're you're big in the chamber, and we didn't really talk. Well, we haven't talked about this at all. But, um. And I when I do the chamber podcast, one of the things I bring up all the time is that to me. I've been in several chambers throughout my careers, and Harford County Chamber of Commerce by far has got to be the chamber that I've gotten the most out of. But to where the members, or at least the members I interact with, you know, like with you and Heather, Kate, Joe, all these other people, it's like family. But explain to every, at least to me it is, but explain to everybody, especially people out there that, or in a business, or whether they own a business, or even just an employee of a business, nonprofit, why it's so important to be a member of the chamber. So the chamber is your voice as a mm -hmm. business, right? As a small business, and we talked about it before, the amount of hours you put into a day 
you don't have enough hours to advocate for yourself from a right. legislative standpoint, from all that kind of stuff. And and I can't speak to other chambers because I've never been a part of other chambers. I've, I've been a part of Hartford County, you know, Chamber oh, so of Commerce. The best one right away. Yeah, you know, okay. right to the top, Rich. That's how we do things. Um, but for so I got to again another interesting story. Why why does this happen? Um, so I joined the chamber three years ago. Okay, three and a half years ago. And I joined the chamber the first year was not a great year for me. I was not going to renew my membership. I was not going to do it because I didn't see any value in the chamber. And we hear that often, right? We hear that. We don't see any value in the chamber. (laughs) So Heather, in her phenomenal everything that she does, um, got on the phone. We spent about a half hour on the phone. And she's like, look. She's like, Mike, listen, you know, this is a valuable resource, and I and you know my response was I'm sure it is I just don't see that value. Yeah. And she's like, well, I think you need to get more involved. She's like, and just through this conversation, I think you would really get to know everybody well. You would really kind of you know things would go well. You know, you would really fit well. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, fine. I said I'll renew for another year and I'll get involved. And she's like, look, just do a couple things a year. Don't like don't think about anything. If you wanted to get involved from a community standpoint, and again. I'm a real estate agent. What do I do? I serve the community. Right. You know what I mean? Like I want to serve the community that serves me type of deal. And as I think about it, it's become a much bigger thing in my world. So she's like, come join the membership development committee. So I joined the membership development committee and I got involved with that. And then mm-hmm. she said, well, she said, real estate's important from a government affairs perspective. Why don't you just sit on the government affairs committee? So I said, oh, I didn't realize you were on that. Yeah. Committee. So I sit okay. on the government affairs committee too. Um, so as I'm growing and learning and doing these things, I was really learning what the advocacy portion of the chamber is. Which a lot of people don't know about. And I think even where we get, and I had a conversation with a member and unfortunately no longer going to be a member the, uh, the other day. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he told me the same thing. I don't see the value. And I totally understand as a business owner entrenched in their business, mm-hmm. you're not going to see the intrinsic monetary value in the regard of sales. Right. Like, oh, I sold, you know, $10,000 of my income last year was from the chamber. Does that happen as you get involved? And as just like business networking, yeah. it's not immediate, right? But I, what I think people need to understand and know about the chamber is that's not what you're paying for. No. That's not what it's there for. Do I get to meet crazy people like yourself and do silly things <laughs> like this? Absolutely. And you know what I mean? That's just an added bonus. But, the advocacy portion of things and the things that I hear about on the legislative side and things that are going on and stuff like that, it's huge. And what mm-hmm. the advocacy of the chamber and what they're doing for small business, I mean, the chamber, the minimal membership is $325 a year. Right. It's, it's minimal. But the legal advocacy you get for that, if you were to pay your lawyer Shoot. to go lobby Annapolis <laughs> – you know what I mean? Yeah. You could be a member of the chamber for 20 years before that became an equal number. It's a, more, it's a mortgage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But so that's, I think that's a big thing from a chamber perspective that people don't understand Yeah, is the advocacy. And I think they, they even, the term is advocacy in action. I think they use, um, is something that people don't see. And they don't understand from about. We have incredible networking events. We have, I mean, tonight we do uh, Chamber Olympics, which That's is tonight? yeah, tonight's Chamber Olympics. 
Um, so tonight we do Chamber Olympics. That's another. So Hartford Young Professionals yeah. is actually a group with the Chamber. They are not. We're not a committee. I co-chair that as well because mm-hmm. again, you know, there's 27 <laughs> hours in a day. Um, the the Hartford Young Professionals is a you know was a group with the Chamber years ago. Kind of fizzled out, and we kind of rekindled it through COVID. Right. Um, Hartford Young Professionals puts on the mini golf tournament and the Chamber Olympics, so kind of two events a year. But we're a group. We are not a. Um, we're not a committee, so inclusion into Hartford Young Professionals is open to the public. Is open to anybody, I did which not is a, that. again, which is exactly that. Like okay. the reason we've structured it as a group is for people to come in and start to see what the advocacy is, see what we're doing, see what's going on. Okay. And the business networking portion of it is obviously part of what we're doing, right. and so on, um, which is again a big piece of the chamber and what we're doing. But the relationships that I have grown through the chamber just over the last three years now have all of those relationships attributed business? No. They've attributed knowledge, right? The knowledge and the fact that I could pick up my cell phone and call four different insurance agents that I'm not com- not uncomfortable asking a question on. Hey, listen, how does this work? Yeah, and not feeling like you know a dingling, like I don't know how insurance is billed. That relationship is huge. The rela- I'm sitting here today because of the chamber. Yeah, you know what I mean. I am. Have I? profited business-wise from the chamber yes but it's taken three years right only this year have things happened the chamber has so many incredible like cost cost savings programs for membership there are so many different i can't even name them we are a cost savings program so maxed out home group is a cost savings program with the chamber we reduce listing compensation we reduce fees and stuff like that for chamber members yeah um you know so the the advocacy is number one. It's that's a, a huge piece of it. The relationships and just I mean, I've become more involved in the chamber because of the relationships. Which good or bad thing? I don't know how you want to look at that. But <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't. It's really hard to say a bad thing about the chamber. It's really hard to say. I, I mean, through there. COVID, the information that we were able to give small businesses oh about local grants and all of these things that could help them stay afloat. That wasn't that wasn't media. You're not going to get that on Channel 11, Channel 13, Channel 2 News. You're not going to no. get that information. You're not going to get that information at that point, really, maybe Hartford Cable Network. You know what I mean? Because uh, that's our local. Hartford TV now. Hartford TV, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Um, but, yeah, maybe that. But, honestly, from a viewership perspective – what you I mean? What is what are you looking at there or not? I mean, yeah. most people are looking at their email. They're not. A lot of people aren't even watching TV anymore. No. They don't have cable service. So, with that, I mean, with all of that, there's all of the tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands. I think even millions of dollars in grants that we've given out as a county now have come through. The director of economic development is on our board of directors. He's in our government affairs committee. Yeah. So it's you're getting it from the source. And that's where the inclusion of, of what we do as a county is phenomenal. So you know, I, I think that's, unfortunately, and I was this way years ago before I joined the first chamber I was part of. I always looked at chambers as a networking group, and that was it. Didn't realize all the stuff they do in the background. Yeah. And it's, and with what you said, 
you know, like with the insurance, you know, if, if you need any questions, there's so many different insurance people you can talk right. to. Um, but I'll be more prone to God, somebody I've talked to at the chamber and I've learned about their business. If somebody calls me and is looking for a certain type of business, well, guess what? I'm going to this person. I'm going to recommend this person from the chamber because I, I've talked to them. I know how they operate. Right. You don't get that with a lot of other things. Yeah, and that's the business networking portion of things. Yeah. And that you know, I used insurance as an example just of relationships, like to mm-hmm. pick up the phone and you know what I mean. Just you know, business business advocate to business advocate, businessman to businesswoman to you know what I mean to business yeah. person to whatever. You know, hey, I have this question. Can you help me? And it's not a sales pitch. It's not anything like that. We are just genuinely open, you know what I mean? And it's for the betterment of the business, for the betterment of the individual, because at the end of the day, it betters the community. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so bi-local. I'm so keep it low. You know what I mean? I try to do as much as I can from that perspective on what we do, on who we get to help with estate sales and clean out the properties and stuff like that. They're all chamber members. You know what I mean? They're all small businesses. Yeah. They're all, you know, it's... I just, again, and from a my story perspective, I was leaving. I didn't see the value. Yeah. And right. now, I don't know if I go a week without some sort of <laughs> meeting or some sort of anything associated. Yeah, now, I was going to say, outside of the chamber, are you involved? Are you on any other boards, whether it be for nonprofits or anything? So I haven't joined any nonprofit boards yet. Um, okay. Always, gonna, always looking for say, different. You may not have the time. <laughs> always, I mean, always looking for different opportunities. And like I said, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now without my assistant. And right. I, well, I wished years yeah. ago I would have done that. Going back to don't worry about the money, but um, no, none of those boards at the moment. I do sit on the board of directors at the Association of Realtors. I am on the board of directors of Hartford okay. County Association of Realtors. Um, I used to co-chair their Young Professionals Network. I did oh, let I did okay. did let that go this year. Um. You know, and obviously just caveat being all the quote unquote young professionals network have, there's no age component to them. There's no, there's none of that. You know what I mean? It's, it's just young. We look at young professionals as young in business or young in like, you can use that nomenclature however you want to use it, but there's no age component to it. Though that's like me, my Arctic blonde beard could even join. Yes. Arctic blonde. I'm going to have to keep that in the, uh, in the (laughs) vocabulary. I like that, Rich. Um, but yeah, no, like, so that's involved in that it, Mason Dixon business association is a networking group. I do that. I do some other, uh, business networking, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday mornings during the week. So community involvement through that, the ch- business networking that I started is the reason I got involved with the chamber right. with, you know, I, mean, I did a networking group with our current chair and then I said, Hey, is the chamber worth it? I got involved and then, you know, it was like, Hey, why don't you do this? And Hey, why don't you do that? And I can't never keep my nose out of anything. So that's where we are. Um, yeah, I mean, overall my involvement, my passion is what I do. My passion is the County. My, you know what I mean? Yeah. I live here. I, I I live here. I work here. You know what I mean? And I, you know, we have so much to offer. It's incredible. One last thing. Whatever you need. We're going to close with this. Um, because, you know, when we started, we talked about how you and I met through the chamber, but technically we met beforehand. And I've been looking at the door because somebody said they were going to sneak in, but apparently couldn't make it. So explain how we met before. <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, literally. <laughs> um, 
So I uh, I asked this lady to marry me, and I, why she said yes, I'm still trying to figure that out. You're but we had. Yeah. I mean, oh my, I mean, my wife. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that, right? Uh, do you know something? I don't know. Um, how do we want to tell this story? So we got married in a barn because that is my thought process. And, and that's, I'm just, I love the outdoors. I, I mean, worked on dairy farms here in the county and so on. Like, not afraid to get my hands dirty. So we got married in a barn. And there was this, there was this guy that was behind the bar, tending bar. And <laughs> we happened to, um, you know what I mean? We happened to have a little bit of a wild and crazy wedding. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, that's just how my family does things. Right. And when the wedding planner, um, <laughs> you know, asked us certain things about what to stock where and what to have at this and that, and we told her, and, and she said, okay, yeah, sure. And then middle of the wedding, things were in full bloom, let's say. <laughs> and... um she may or may not have been involved in the cake cutting ceremony. She was at her, <laughs> at her, um, what's yeah. Um, dismay. <laughs> so come to find out rich and I are talking and rich happened to be one of the bartenders behind the bar at my <laughs> wedding. And that wedding planner that may or may not have <laughs> got to taste the cake before I did. We'll just, we'll put it that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, at, again, at her dismay, uh, may or may not have been Rich's sister. <laughs> and that's how we met. Didn't know we met. And the rest is history. That was a fun wedding, though. That's how. That's we, how you that's remember. How, that's what you've been told. <laughs> no. That's how we live life. And that's, you know what I mean? And that going back to. Being in corporate America and right. coming home burnt out every day. And my wife was like, you're not you. And this is where the rest of this history kind of from there. And, you know, that's you got to live life. You yeah. got to, you know, and, and we talk about it all the time. We talk about it with agents. Work-life balance is huge. You know what I mean? It's huge. I have two little kids. You know what I mean? My daughter's six. My son's four. So we have a young family. So to be able to juggle that, to be able to grow a business, to be able to grow two businesses, that's more of a juggle than keeping the business afloat is being able to juggle and have an understanding. We talked about the understanding mm-hmm. family. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it's just cool how small Baltimore is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's cool how small Harford County is. You know, because that wedding was not in Harford County. It was in Baltimore County. Yeah. It, was not, it wasn't here. It wasn't home. So, yeah. So, for those of you that um, are wondering about that, yeah, it was my sister. She was a wedding planner. And let's just say um, – she was planning to try to make it to this podcast recording and sneak up behind Mike with a cupcake and smash it in his face. <laughs> and we'll close on that. Rich, thank you so much. Thanks, I mean, this, this podcast is awesome. I'm so blessed and happy that you asked me to be here and uh, happy to do anything else at any time, whatever, whatever you need. Yeah. And tell everybody else again the name of the podcast. Yeah, so uh, look for it. We actually, starting on social media, it is It's Real Money Podcast um on social media um instagram facebook is real money podcast i think instagram has underscores between the words um we'll hopefully kick that off if not the end of december beginning of the year with episodes um and again it's just it's really it's just real talk it's just a couple guys around the table we love business we love entrepreneurship we love just real conversation 
Now, know? is that going to be strictly audio or audio and video? Audio because and video. Yeah, you're going to be able to find it on YouTube too. So we're going to have a video component. So you're all right, but it is going to be a true podcast where it's going to be on Spotify, iTunes. Correct. Yeah, we'll we'll broadcast onto all the all the major kind of Spotify, po- right. um, Spotify, Pandora. You'll be able to find it on Apple Music, all that kind of stuff. Wherever you can find a podcast, you'll be able to find that. Okay. And then as well as we're going to video every podcast wherever we happen to be. So the studio's mobile; we can be anywhere. So we're going to video it where we are, and then we're going to put it. All the episodes will be on YouTube. For, for the I video piece. For the Chesapeake Podcast Network, I, could, I guess I could probably put a link for the video in there, too. I don't know. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I'll figure I do the website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, that's where, that'll hopefully be at the first of the year. Like I said, we've done probably about four hours or so of audio at this point and just kind of getting ready to cut it up. And we're not doing any editing of the audio unless right. there's some sort of major, like, break in sound or something along those lines. You're going to get the ums. You're going to get the... Real talk. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. I love it like that. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Rich. Really appreciate it. So if you have an idea or someone you would like to hear on the podcast, or if you would like to come on, let me know. Send an email to podcast at harfordcountyliving.com, and I will do my best to either get that person on, get you on, or talk about the idea that you wanted me to talk about. And also, if you can, please, 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 Leave a full review at lovethepodcast.com forward slash Harco Living. Again, that's lovethepodcast.com forward slash Harco Living. And also, please follow the Facebook page, Harford County Living with Rich Bennett. Again, it's facebook.com forward slash HCL show. What I tend to do is when you leave a full review, and you follow the Facebook page, either or, or both, hopefully both, because it's a better chance for you. I do contests, or not contests, I give away things every once in a while. Whether it be gift cards or something else, this is your chance to win. And you can enter, well, of course, you can only leave like the page once, but the full reviews as many times as you want, because you can leave a full review for certain episodes or for the podcast as a whole. And even if you'd like to five years ago or left a review five years ago, you're in the drawing each time I do it. So again, you know, for the reviews, go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash Harco Living. And please follow and like our page at facebook.com forward slash HCL show. And I want to leave you with these words that a very wise man taught me at broadcasting school. If it is to be, It is up to me. So I am sitting here today. I have a young lady on that is a very talented photographer, Emily Adolph. And she's got something very special, especially if you run a nonprofit. Oh, she's got something special for you. But if you just need photography in general, you want to get a hold of her. So how are you doing, Emily? I'm doing good, Rich. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, my pleasure. Tell us what it is that you are, this special that you're running. Yeah. so Special for special people because you're special, right? (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So (laughs) what I'm offering is free photography services to nonprofits here in Harford County. And Mm -hmm. um, initially I was running it from now until the end of June, but what I've decided to do is extend it out. Um, So now I'm offering it from now until um, the end of August. So until August 31st, that, that, you know, weekend Um, figured, you know, it's a, it's a busy 
time of year season for mm-hmm. you know nonprofits having events in the summertime. Um, but yeah, really just want to support, help nonprofits capture, you know, moments and, and the, um, experiences of the events that they're hosting without having to, you know, worry about funding the photographer. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about, you know, what I'm, I'm giving back to the community. Which is great because a lot of your nonprofits don't take photos of their events and they should be on their websites. I agree. You know, even for upcoming events, you know, it's nice if you had the photos from last year to, to ask, Hey, look, this is what we're doing. This is how good it is. Yeah. And also, but you also do other types of photography in case somebody wants to hire you, right? I do. Yeah, I do portraits, families, event, you know, other events, musicians, bands. Those are my my key focuses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how does somebody hire you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, they would just go to my website. So it's www.emilyadoff.com. So that's E M I L Y A D O L P H dot com. Well, first of all, thank you for doing that because that's awesome. And especially now, a lot of your nonprofits are struggling because you're just like all of us, inflation's hitting them hard. Yep. You know, and you have, you know, some venues around that shut down. So some of them are struggling to find a place. And here you are reaching out to help. And for those of you that don't know about Emily, this is Emily just loves to help people out. Yeah, I do. So. Help her out as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, hire her for your photography needs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Rich. <laughs>